Welcome back to another recording of Changing Faith. And then this time we have a special guest. We've, we've had uh, sort of guests before, but well, yeah, with Father Josh, we had a guest. But this time we have Tyler Dumont. And Tyler, I don't know what title to give you. Uh, there's so many we could choose from. <laughs> I, I once heard you referred to as a proto-seminarian. I, I don't know if you actually yes. carry that title or not, but... Yep. Uh, how would you introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, there are a lot of titles that are kind of thrust upon me, I think. Um, but I would just say, uh, uh, perhaps just a uh, student would probably be the most appropriate and um, probably the most um, accurate um, statement you could use. Um, I'm also, you know, probably something close to like a lay theologian, I guess. You know, no formal education, um, but I certainly like to think a lot. Yet. Yeah, no formal education. And also a, a lay leader within Our Lord's Church. So yes. um, also not ordained, but um, active leader in our church. So, yeah. And that yeah. church is? Incarnation Anglican Church in Roseville, California, okay. baby. So since I've been a part of that church, we've had now, yeah. you're the second person from the Anglican Church who's been on the show. And I, I don't want it to become an Anglican show, but right. I did want you to be on because in speaking with you, mm -hmm. I learned of a journey. Yes. And a changing faith, which, you know, the more I, I'm around this, I, I have even more of an appreciation for a faith mm -hmm. that changes over time instead yeah. of is static. Yeah. You know, I think that uh, I'm, I'm the same way. I think that obviously you and I, our faith has changed in a way that maybe, um, you know, maybe some people could construe it as um, a little bit more maybe dramatic might be, um, an appropriate yeah. word. You know, it's like it are, you know, we've had bad experiences and we've had good experiences, but generally like we've kind of moved from point A to point, from point A to point B, um, um, using a certain, a certain style, if you will. But, you know, there are also other people that their faith has just simply matured and, and grown and, and become like a good wine, you know, um, where they haven't had necessarily the journey that maybe perhaps you and I have, you know, so changing faith, I think just in general, you know, there's a, you know, uh, St. Paul talks about when he was a child, he spoke like a child, but when he was a man, he spoke like a man, you know? Um, so I think changing faith happens to everyone, but specifically, I think now in our day and age, faith changing is something that is of, um, most import. I think, I think that especially nowadays we see a lot of, especially young people changing faith in a way that potentially is, um, a lot more exciting perhaps a lot more uh, filled with drama or dramatic than I think what we would traditionally look at when we see someone, you know, becoming a, from a child to a man, if that makes sense. Kind of. Yeah. 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 Totally. So what was the background that you uh, came from? What's, what was your childhood uh, faith? Yeah. So grew up in a um, small, it's not even a town. Um, it's basically a, a tract of, of land that's recognized by the government. It's called Newcastle. It's right outside of Auburn, right, which we're, we're recording from right now. Um, and so places like Auburn and Loomis and Penryn, those were all, those were all like towns and areas that were kind of my stomping grounds when I was growing up. Um, but the background was not just in Auburn, but it was actually uh, my family, especially in my early years, you know, probably from, you know, when I was born to when I was, you know, reaching my, my tweens, right? Like 12, 13. Um, we moved to, we were a part, uh, heavily involved in very fundamentalist, um, Christian churches, usually Baptist Christian churches, um, in the Auburn area. And then for a short stint, actually in Sacramento as well, we were part of a very, very fundamentalist church out in Midtown Sacramento Okay, as well. Yeah. 
So what, what are your memories uh, as far as a faith in that environment? Um, I think that um, obviously my faith at that time was severely, st- well, it's hard to say because, you know, those years were so, so early, right? Um, I would say that in comparison to some of the other um, faiths I've seen at that, at that age, mine was certainly more stunted because my experiences were also very, very negative, Right. For example, like, you know, I mentioned the fundamentalist church in, in, in Sacramento, right. Which will go unnamed, um, for their sake, I think. Um, you know, I remember like this one time way back in the day, my, my brother, he like basically like a group of these kids, um, who are probably very, very frustrated for some of the same reasons that I ended up being very, very frustrated as well. Um, uh, they basically kind of ganged up on my brother and got him in trouble, Hmm. uh, in front of like the elders of the church, you know, at one point. So, the, you know, stuff like that very much, uh, it wasn't so much dramatic in a, in a theological sense as it was very much uh, melodramatic in a communal sense, right? There's always problems happening. There was always fingers being pointed and there was constant bickering and gossiping among hmm. um, these things, which I think is actually a, a, a mark of, of fundamentalism and is, a, and, is, and is a mark of a faith that is stunted and not very strong. And so, um, you know, a lot of that was obviously me looking in and seeing the woes of, you know, my parents and the ways they were treated um, and seeing, you know, my my brother, who I looked up to quite a bit back in those days, um, uh, watching, you know, his struggle with this weird, ingrown, bent over community um, that didn't really operate as the sort of community that I would later learn to be a true inspiration of, of Christ's community. So it was generally a very negative experience, I would say, just very generally negative, but not, it was before I was actually thinking about my faith. It was before I was thinking about theology. It was before, before all of those things. All I saw was kind of this drama that I really didn't have a vocabulary for, didn't have any sort of vernacular to kind of explain why these things made me feel bad on the inside or why these things made me uncomfortable, why I felt alone when I was around these people. Hmm. Um, I don't know if that answers the question, but that's certainly the way that I felt um, back in those days. And that would that would take you up to age what? Oh boy, like probably like nine or ten, I think. Because um, when because we we inevitably broke away from the fundamentalist, um, um, or at least we we did that for the most part. We kind of broke away from um, the fundamentalist churches. You know, there were, there were, as, as most fundamentalist churches operate, you know, usually there's no sort of ecclesial oversight. Um, It's usually, you know, I keep using the word, it's very fundamentalist theologically, right? So there's oftentimes splits that happen, right? There's schism after schism. And so after one of these schisms, we, we just kind of moved away. I, I think that my parents more than anything probably got just very exhausted by it all. Um, because it is exhausting, you know, um, which is so very unlike, uh, what a, a good and vibrant faith is for us, right? A good and vibrant faith is not exhausting to us. Um, and so we inevitably went, um, actually we made the trek to Roseville, um, to a church out there called, um, at the time it was called, uh, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church of Roseville as part of a very small Presbyterian denomination called the OPC or the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And that's basically where we worshiped, um, as a family, um, for, um, close to 15 years Hmm. after that point. Right. So basically until I was 23, which is when I, I left and became Anglican. So. Okay. And for you personally, what went on during that 15 year period? Yeah. 
leading up to your leaving? Um, that's, yeah, it's, it's a more difficult question and it's a really good one. Um, because one of the things that I noticed was that, you know, especially when it comes to things like fundamentalism, it's very easy to kind of point the finger, just like nowadays with the issues that we face against, you know, um, hardcore progressivism and liberalism, right? It's very easy to kind of point the finger and say, you don't look very Christian, right? Um, but my time in the OPC was um, actually really, really good. I have really, really good experiences with that church. Um, you know, um, Kevin Vanderlinden, who is the pastor there for 10 years, I mean, he was one of the number one mentors in my life. Um, and then later on, uh, we brought on an associate pastor, like, you know, basically like months before I left. Um, also an incredible character. I mean, these are men that taught me what it meant to be um, wise, what it meant to be a young man who is filled with wisdom, right? Not that I am I'm saying they just taught me what that meant. Um, but they also taught me what it meant to live by the scriptures, to to live with your life formed by the word of God, right? Um, I would say that probably one of the ways that one of the things that brought me away um, from that and what inevitably kind of opened my eyes to some of the dangers of fundamentalism and the remnants of fun fundamentalism that I still see in denominations like um, the OPC is um, I read this book uh, by this guy named Paul Avis, um, A-V-I-S. I, I, I hope I'm saying his last name correctly. And it was a book on the ecclesiology or the theology of church um, in the reformers, right? So he basically went through all of the reformers, you know, basically from like, uh, you know, Martin Luther and even, you know, he mentions some pre-Reformation reformers um, in the Catholic Church, but he basically starts with Luther and then kind of goes through, you know, uh, you know, John Calvin and all of their contemporaries and associates and all of their progeny um, and talks about what their ecclesiology was. And one thing that really struck me is I really, really liked what men like Thomas Cranmer had to say about ecclesiology and the nature of the church. And I, I really liked their emphasis on authority without giving into the very corrupt authority of the Roman Catholic church. But then what I noticed is that when it got to the section on the Anabaptists, which were a radical form of early reformation um, churches, they were, they were very radical. The nowadays they're known as the Amish, right? Um, very, very radical. I found that their ecclesiology actually sounded very much, closer to the churches I had grown up in, right? Very, very much disconnected from any sort of wider sense of a church body, very much disconnected from a wider sense of ecclesiology. Um, you know, at, at that point, I had kind of garnered this sense of um, respect and deference to my pastors, right? So I, I looked up to my pastors and I viewed them as, as major authorities in my life. You know, my pastor says, you shouldn't be doing something like this. I respected, I, I believe that they had spiritual authority in my life. But unfortunately, that same authority is what brought me to an understanding of the authority of the church, right? And the church body and ecclesial authority. And I found that actually that authority that I placed in my pastors was not shared with many, many people in my church. It was kind of this colloquial understanding, right? It was just kind of this thing that was naturally born out of us um, but was never really recognized by any sort of theology or any sort of theological statement. Um, it was very much, our ecclesiology was very much Anabaptist. Um, I would also say the second thing that I found myself differing in is actually our view of the scriptures, right? Um, and our view of doctrine. Um, my view of doctrine began changing, um, especially because I believe that, um, you know, I think actually I, 
I was I was heavily in or not heavily influenced, but some some things I was reading um, as I was studying some Roman Catholic doctrine kind of stood out to me a little bit. Um, there's this quote that uh, Pope Benedict he's writing um, this uh, this encyclical called De Ver- Verbum, and he says that we are not people of uh, a book, right? We're not people of like dead words on a page, but we are people of the Word, the Living Word, the Logos, right? the living incarnate word of God. That's who we are. But I just found that, especially within the fundamentalist and then post-fundamentalist movements, like within the OPC, that we were just kind of people of a book. You know, we we just kind of, we studied the Bible and we were really healthy in that way. We we studied the Bible and that's kind of was our, our saving grace, was that we studied the Bible, but it was also our kryptonite. Because when when you view the Bible as as, when you view truth as just dead words on a page, you can't really get past what the dead words on the page say, if that kind of makes sense. And I'm not saying that truth does not exist on those pages, but what I am saying is that there was this there was this limitation because any time that we read, you know, the words of Scripture outside of the fundamentalist dogma, um, there were huge, huge problems with that. Right. So, for example, I'll, I'll give a few examples. You know, say if you view the um, Genesis account right, outside of a very, very, basically a brand new exegesis of the Old Testament, which is that um, Genesis is portraying a very scientific six-day literal creation, right? Um, You know, to deny that is to deny scripture, is to deny the Bible itself, and is to deny truth. Um, But, you know, if you look through ancient, uh, the ancient testimonies of, you know, say people like St. Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas, you know, some of the people who have founded our faith, they would say, no, oh, that's absolutely ridiculous. There's, there's no way that the world's created in six days. And that, in fact, they'd probably say that you're limiting God in that way and that you're not reading the scriptures as they should have been read, right? Same thing with things like, um, you know, the flood, right? These these huge stories that are they're trying to say something so much bigger than just the fact that there was, hey, there was this flood that happened and wiped over the entire world, even though we have no sense of proof for this. Um, I began to see, you know, that among a couple other things, that there was just this general, we acted like there's this necessity to be reading the scriptures in this way. And there was this overarching fear of just abandoning the scriptures like the liberals had. And I guess I just realized like, neither one of those things is true, man. You know, like you can read scripture, you can read the Bible and read it for something for something so much more than just a literal scientific six-day literal creation, for example, right? You can read it as telling a very deeply theological story, something that is just as powerful as holding to, in fact, more powerful than holding to a literal six-day creation. So I don't know if that specifically answers your question, but those are kind of some of the things that brought me forward from um, the OPC and fundamentalism. My guess would be probably around the same time we were having that same experience of having our God become so much bigger. Yes. Because he could work through more mm-hmm. than just what the literalists say Genesis is describing in, yeah. in those accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, because they do. They tie God's hands behind his back to yeah. to have to... Uh, a, abide by exactly what these words right. are that you can't even put Genesis one and two together and come up with the same account. Right. You know, and you begin to, it becomes, it becomes especially a philosophical problem because then you, you have to begin capitulating. And, and I think that what most fundamentalists don't realize is that they've already made the capitulation to everything the atheists say about them, right? The atheists call them, um, 
anti-intellectual, right? Anti-scientific. And they say that, um, you know, that, that reading of the Bible is, um, you know, they could label, you know, millions of different, different insults against them. But the problem is, is that they actually capitulate to those things because they're willingly settling down into something that is a non-Catholic, non-Christian reading of scripture, right? I mean, they're disagreeing with the very intellectual and very scientific history and tradition of the Christian church, you know? Um, and so there's a huge danger there, you know? It, it does absolutely limit our God in a very significant way. They feel like they're being true to the book. They feel mm -hmm. like they're being true to uh, the heritage that we've inherited yeah. from the Protestant Reformation of Sola Scriptura. Yeah. That you make it that authority. You know, they talk about the authority of the Bible. They, mm -hmm. they, they have the Bible as the fourth member of the Trinity. Right, 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 right. And it, it really makes you wonder, is it, is the authority the Bible or is the authority mm -hmm. Jesus Christ, the, yeah. the author? And, uh, and of course, I've, I've actually had this conversation with a, a cousin of mine who's, I'm not going to say his denomination, but <laughs> we've already talked about it. He, uh, he says, yeah, well, how do you know about Jesus? You know about him through the scripture. Right. The, the three-legged stool that uh, Richard Rohr discusses or the Wesleyan quadrilateral that I learned mm -hmm. from my Wesleyan background, it's, it's not... No, that's not the only way we know him. No. It's not just the Bible. It's yeah. the Bible. It's our own reason that God gave us. It's our personal experience. It's mm -hmm. it's our um you know, church. even our even our doctrine, you know, like even see, and that's that's the ultimate problem is that it, it kind of falls beneath its own weight, the argument does, right? The argument that, oh, well, you know, for example, you know Jesus through the scriptures. Well, you, yeah, but what what do the scriptures say about Jesus, man? I mean, what, what is the thing, what is the, the historical moment that happens in scripture that leads us to Jesus, leads us to God, that reconciles God with his people or vice versa, reconciles God's people with himself. It's the incarnation. It's not the writing of the Bible. It, the Bible says the word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? Like, like John, St. John believes that that is the foremost movement of God in our time, right? I mean, Carl uh, Bartz calls it the super historical moment when all of history before Jesus was looking forward to him and all of history after him is looking back to him, right? That doesn't sound like people of a book to me. That sounds like people of the word. And to be fair, you know, I've been, I've been, I wonder if I'm using this word correctly, but I, I would say that I've been an egalitarian in terms of, um, I've been an equal opportunity um, offender, <laughs> offender, and 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 beneficiary. I think of uh, of both liberal thought and conservative thought because I think that you know when it comes to and I say this all the time about um, you know progressivism and liberalism. We talk about you know some of the issues that we're finding with um, you know people denying the divinity of Christ, but also outside of the church, we find issues of you know um, you know we find issues of um, people talking about sexism and racism and all these social problems, and, and oftentimes it annoys conservatives quite a bit. Um, but on the other side, you also find, you know, conservatives that are, you know, they're, they're literalists, right? They're fundamentalists. Um, they've got terrible ecclesiology, right? They kind of believe in this grassroots, me and my Bible ecclesiology and, and a theology of church. But we also need to understand that, you know, on one side, can we say that, you know, on the liberal side, these ideas are, right, their solutions 
are wrong, right? And on the other side, we f- we find the solutions are wrong on on the conservative side, right? Like the biblicist literist, literalist approach is wrong, and also kind of the verbiage of the progressive movement is also wrong. But what we need to recognize is, well, yeah, those solutions are wrong. The problems aren't, right? Like there are legitimate problems, and I think that there are legitimate problems with some of the things that we we talk about, right? Um, for example, I think that if a fundamentalist was to listen to the conversation we're having right now, they'd say, you know, they probably think that we're heretics. But I think that there's a legitimate fear there because there is a fear that we begin to do things like deny, for example, the perspicuity of Scripture, deny the inerrancy of Scripture, deny the fact that Scripture can be read and can be understood and can be t- taken and understood to say what it's really saying, right? And we can also begin to do things like deny the divinity of Christ. We can begin to deny the actual lateral propositions that scripture has made and the church has confessed for 2,000 years, right? So there is a danger there. And I see that the danger that the fundamentalist sees. I just, just like the liberal though, and just like the progressive, I just think that their their solution to the problem is terrible. It's just awful, man. Um, because it, it limits God. It doesn't actually fix the problem. Um, so... Um, and, and it ends up creating um, Christians that are either um, very ingrown, like a toenail, or very, very angry. Like a toenail. Oh, like a toenail. Like an ingrown toenail. Mm-hmm, indeed. Have some opinion on angry, ingrown toenails. <laughs> you use the word inerrancy, and mm-hmm. I, I think that that word can be understood in so very, very different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, the biblicist, of course, is going to take it one way. Right. And then I the think... The Catholic another, the Anglican yeah. another, totally. Yeah. Um, so did you want to explain that at all or skip over that? Yeah, no, I, I, I will, but I will explain it by skipping over it, if that makes sense. I think that... Um, yeah, I think that oftentimes when we have when we graf- grapple with questions like this, I think that we're kind of grappling um, outside of kind of outside of the practicality of, of theology, I would say that oftentimes what most people mean when they say inerrant is they mean that the scriptures are true. And oftentimes I just don't find a reason to go past that, right? I think that, you know, we have a tradition that has lasted for 2,000 years that has confessed basically the same things for 2,000 years, right? I find little need in defending my view of scripture past that. You know what I'm saying? I, I think that um, inerrancy, when we when we struggle and we grapple and we debate, you know, we hotly debate the inerrancy of Scripture, when really all we're saying is that we believe the Bible is true, right? And we can take the Bible at its word, right? I, I think that that actually comes from a history of um, a, 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 a very new tradition, a very new tradition that doesn't hold to the tradition of 2,000 years, but actually is beginning to move away from that and to bury the artifacts of an ancient age, Um and so I think that inerrancy, in the way I use it is I, I just mean scripture is true. And I use it as a term to say, to distance myself from the liberals and the progressives who would say that scripture is actually basically not true, that it is a collection, it is a collection of, of simply stories that are meant to kind of provide us with universal truths and, you know, yada, 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 uh, you know, enter in any uh, liberal dogma here, right? I, I think that it is good that we distance ourselves from those ideas. Hmm. Um, but I think maybe um, oftentimes when we talk about inerrancy, we just mean that it's true, that the Bible is true. Does that, do you think that answers the question? I think there's something you're not saying maybe, but maybe not. Maybe I'm, I'm 
I'm laying that on top of what you are saying. Um, cause like I said, it, it means different things to different people. For certainly. And I also, I, I, I do, I do answer with a certain sense of trepidation because I, there, there's a part of me that kind of moved away from, um, studying things like inerrancy. You know, I, I think one of the beautiful things about being Anglican is I get to kind of rest upon the laurels of the great men that have come before me. You know, I don't have to grapple with these incredible, incredibly complex and difficult and multifaceted and just overly complex doctrines, like things like inerrancy, you know? Um, so I, th- I think that also like, I'm kind of coming towards it and I'm saying, well, like, I know what this, what I'm trying to say with this word. And I know that what I'm trying to say makes sense within my world, right? But I also understand that perhaps using that word is kind of carrying with it too much baggage. And I'm just like not super willing to like move forward with that baggage because, you know, I'm a, yeah, I'm 24. I hate baggage, you know? <laughs> so I don't know if that makes sense, but. I guess it does. So okay. at this point in your life, yeah, uh, being an, an actual member of the leadership at 24 years of age of a, mm-hmm. of a church, um, which you don't see every day. Certainly. Or in every church, yeah. I guess I should say. Uh, did you want to address at all the group? The group in, in what sense? Well, when I say the group, I mean a group of people about your age yeah. that usually sit together at church hmm. who kind of came as a group to incarnation oh, or, yeah. or with Father Josh. You're, you're part of that group, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, cause that was a part of your experience and your journey. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there are actually a few moments in, in my life where I consider myself incredibly lucky to have experienced certain things. I, I consider them some of the golden moments of my life, right? The, I mean, these true, truly great moments that were set aside. Um, and I, I just think that I was incredibly blessed by God. Um, and one of those moments, I think, was uh, St. Augustine. Um and this is actually part two of a of a story um, that I that I would love to get into as well. Um, but Saint Augustine kind of came after this gr- um, another great period of my life where you know I was I was growing in my faith and I just very recently discovered and um, this call to be a minister. And so, you know, a group of friends and I, um, led by one man, uh, his name is Brandon. Basically, uh, we we planted a very small Anglican church. Um, and I guess one thing that I would say about uh, this Anglican, I'll say two things. Uh, this Anglican church, St. Augustine Anglican church was, uh, it was incredible. It was very small. I mean, when I say small, I don't mean like small as in 30 people. I mean, small as in like eight, right? It was very small, but we formed a bond that was so powerful and so good. It was just capital G good. You know, um, we worshiped we were very high church, right? If you know the high church, low church distinction, we were very Anglo-Catholic. We were very, very much a part of that high liturgy. Um, I mean, if if we could get incense down there, we would have we would have fogged up the entire room, right? Uh, it was great, um, and um, so it was it was incredible, and I learned so much about what it meant to lead a church. It was the first time that I was on a vestry. It was the first time that I was a leader in a church, right? It was the first time that anyone actually even took me seriously as a leader of a church. I think. Um, and so it was an incredible learning experience. Um, and it was amazing at some of the bonds that I met, that I made during that time, even with all the rough things that came after 
I think just some of the most incredible experiences that I've had and some of the best friendships that I've ever had as well. And friendships that I still have to this day. I would also say just as a general note for young people that are, you know, wanting to be leaders in the church, um, don't get too big for your britches, man. Um, I, I think the greatest gift that my previous pastors, um, pastor Kevin Vanderlinden and, and Adrian Crum ever gave me was a distinct fear of youthful hubris. I mean, just a, a palpable fear and terror of just being that kid who just thinks he's got all the answers and thinks he can answer all the questions and thinks he can just charge ahead with his, with his false bravado, um, and win at everything. And I, I just think that one of the lessons that I had to learn again, I think, um, was, was that, was exactly that. Listen to your elders, man. Be humble. Um, you've got your entire life ahead of you. Um, be wise. Try and learn what it means to be a really wise and caring and virtuous person before you step into a place of leadership. Um, and also understand that you're probably never going to think that you're good enough for leadership. And if you feel that, then it's probably a good sign. So that's what I'll say about St. Augustine. Yeah. Yeah. So we, yeah, we, we have several members of that group Mm -hmm. in, in our body. And now in our church, you are, do you have a title? Yeah, so I'm um, part of the vestry, and I'm also what's called a senior warden. And a senior warden is, I mean, it sounds very fancy, but um, in a lot of ways, I just kind of operate as um, one of the fathers. Um, I, I, f- I feel uncomfortable calling saying it's a, I'm a right-hand man, um, but I'm, let's put it this way. Let's put it in, in one of my um, vernaculars. We'll just say that I am Father Josh's dude. I'm his man. Um, so, uh, but aside from that, a senior warden is also someone who is overseeing kind of the operation of the church behind the scenes. So, um, you know, for example, if we were to get our own building, I would also be in charge of hiring janitors and, you know, making sure that we've got, you know, toilet paper stocked and all that stuff, you know, kind of behind the scenes, the sort of things that no one really ever thinks about. That's my job, right? Um, you also notice that usually at church, I'm the sort of person that if the phone rings, for example, I'm the guy who like gets up, jumps and grabs it and turns it off. Um, so that, you know, this, it can go, you know, the, um, service can go on. I'm also kind of, I just pick up any odd job that I can, you know? So I don't know if that answers the question, but that's kind of like what my duty is at incarnation as senior warden. Yeah. I, I, I didn't know the title. So that's why yeah, I was asking. It's great. And then going on from here in, in the church, yeah, you've talked of seminary. Yeah, so, <clears throat> yeah, seminary's been um, something that's been on my mind for, for many, many years. Um, so when I first felt the call to ministry, I was uh, I was 22, which means I was uh, basically the age when most kids are, um, most men my age and most men and women my age are graduating college, actually. So I'd already been graduated, um, and so I... I felt the call to ministry and I immediately began making plans to uh, begin an undergraduate, which I actually began um, last year when I turned 23, uh, short, uh, shortly before I turned 23. And so um, going to seminary is uh, 100% on the list. I, I have a high value. I place a high value in education. And I think that I should because I'm a lower lowercase c Catholic. You know, I, I think that we come from a tradition that is highly intellectual. 
you know, for example, it, it's it's because of the church that we know about, you know, we know what biological evolution is. It's because, you know, monk in France, for example. Um, so we come from an incredibly intellectual um an incredibly intellectual tradition. And I think that education is going to become even more important with an anti-intellectual generation, you know, where most people are getting really, really bad educations. And most people um, kind of view colleges as a, as a degree factory, you know. Um, so seminaries on is definitely on the horizon. I will probably graduate in two years, um, graduate my undergraduate, which is in English. And then uh, there are a couple different um, opportunities for me out there. You know, I've heavily considered Reformation Theological Seminary out in Orlando. I've got a, f a, a great friend of mine uh, named Travis out there um, uh, who actually quoted earlier when I talked about um, uh, uh, the Bible being true. I, I literally just quoted a conversation that we had last night. He's a great guy, um, and I know that there, we would have a lot of fun if I was if I was there and I'd have a great community there. But I've also considered, you know, Gordon-Conwell, which has an Anglican tract. I've also considered uh, Wycliffe College out in uh, Toronto, Canada, which is part of, you know, uh, the Trinity College there, Trinity University, which is like one of the foremost um, Christian universities in the world. So there are a couple options out there um, for me, but it's also kind of, you know, two years away. So a lot can change then, you know. Okay. Uh, any last little bit about uh, where you're going from here in addition to seminary? Yeah, so um, back when I was, I'll, I'll backtrack just a little bit. Um, when I um, when I was still at Reformation Fellowship, I began living. I, I moved out when I was nineteen, um, so very young. I moved out as soon as I possibly could, as soon as I I made enough money. Um, so I had my first corporate job. I was working with my dad, and I moved out immediately. And I immediately moved in with some dudes, uh, Sam and Justice, and um, it was kind of what you would expect from someone living with his first set of roommates. It was pretty bad, generally. Um, and we learned a lot, and we ended up loving each other past it all, which is just, I mean, that's a blessing in and of itself. But inevitably, I met a guy named Brandon, and Brandon and I started something that was incredible, something that stuck with me, uh, and is actually the reason for my call to ministry. And because, you know, we were young punk kids, and, well, I mean, we're still young punk kids, but we were younger and more punkier punk kids. Um... We called it the bro pad because we were bros and it was our pad. Um, and that kind of just spiraled out into this beautiful, beautiful expression of hospitality and community. I mean, when we talk about the golden years of our lives, those will always be the golden years of my life. I mean, those those are some of the best experiences that I've ever had. Some, some of the hardest, most difficult, most horrendous times as well, but easily some of the best. And it was from there that I found my call to ministry because I was leading uh, for two years straight. Every single Tuesday, I led a Bible study because, you know, I also don't take vacations because I'm insane. Um, I led this Bible study and through this and this amazing community and this fact that we had this just grand, grand sense of hospitality and community with other people. And I was doing life with people, really. Um, I felt this call to ministry. So the future, to answer your question, um, and that... I am unsure about seminary and how it relates to this, but honestly, I, I want to see my ministry doing life with people. You know, I, I think that oftentimes we misunderstand the ministry as kind of a theological endeavor. You'll find a lot of young people who are mainly intellectuals. They're just kind of nerds, and they, and they love reading theology and talking about theology, and that's healthy and that's good. But oftentimes they have little to no interpersonal skills and no real desire to have um, fond affections with others, right? Um, and so I think that um, what most people do not understand about the ministry is that it's, 
it is prim- just like our faith. It is primarily based within our community, and it is a communal moment. Um, when someone comes to faith, you know, when a, when someone is baptized, it is it is a massive, massive spiritual moment of a community drawing a person in, wrenching them from the gl- grasps of Satan, and saying, "No, you are part of Jesus now." Right? It's this beautiful, beautiful testimony. And so, for my for my ministry, uh, looking forward, I want to be able to do life with people. I love people, and I love talking with people, and I love learning about what people like, and I love loving the things that people love, right? And so um, that's what I want to see in the future, and that's also what I hope, um, especially in this time of disunity and this time where fractions and f- fractions and factions are, are occurring everywhere. People are being split away, and you see these massive tremors affecting every portion of our of our church. I want to see us learn what it means to live in community once again, and and go back to the ancient church. You know, we've we've made the first step by going by becoming Anglican, you and I, right? But I want us to go further, and I want us to say, how much more can we love each other, right? Understanding that the Christian life is a pursuit of the capital O other, right? Always looking forward, loving on the other, loving the other. Um, I want to see us do that. And that's what I I really hope and desire that my ministry um, would be as well. Excellent. Thank you so much for sharing with us. It's my pleasure. How can, if somebody listens to this on the internet, because this can be listened by anybody anywhere. Right. If they wanted to reach you, how would you want them to do that? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, you know, honestly, I would say uh, follow me. Well, let's do it this way. For those of you that I'm a huge fan of writing letters, uh, so if you want to write a letter to me, um, do you think it would be safe to put our, an address on online? Mailing address, absolutely. Physical address. Uh. In that case, what if we do this? Uh, you can follow my Instagram, which is very nice. I love my Instagram. You can follow me at Dumont Tyler. It's just my my last name and my first name put together. Follow that and reach out to me, man. Um, I love getting to know people. Um, I love interesting people. And I, I think all people are very, very interesting. So, And if somebody wanted to hear your preaching, how could they get a hold of sermons? Ooh, that is also a great question. Um, so probably the best way would be to go to Incarnation Anglican's um, Facebook page where all of our services are actually um, recorded live. So you can actually see me preach. I mean, to be fair, I've only preached like, you know, four times at our church, but, um, or three times, but you can always catch, catch those when they go live. And then afterwards they're always saved to our Facebook. So is that the, uh, the public one or just the member one? Nope. That's the public one. Okay. Yeah. All the, all of the same one. So you'll be able to like, just roll through and always reach out to me too. And like, you know, specifically mention to me what you're looking for and I can help you find it too. Should be able to find Incarnation Anglican Church on Facebook yeah, and find sermons there. And yeah. and yes, uh, th- that that was the big thing I wanted to make available was your sermons. So awesome. people could hear those. I appreciate it. And you yeah. like them? Yes. That's, oh, wow. that's, that's why I <laughs> asked, how can people get a hold of them? Because I'm so they are worth so. listening to. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate you so much. to listen to that. Oh, wow. I, yeah. That's a major honor. I and, really and they'll be that. able to say, "Hey, I heard Tyler Dumont preach back when, back when, <laughs> even before he went to seminary." <laughs> oh man, yeah, I can't, I, I can't even imagine that man. I'm I, saving that one. I, like to be honest with you, I just find that like my my ministerial qual- qualities, like I feel like 
Having a conversation like this is one of my strong suits. I think that preaching is something that I find very, very difficult for me. So I like you have no idea how much of a compliment well, you just served me. If, so if you are just now starting and you're going to go through seminary and and maybe you'll do Toastmasters or something like that, that helps with yeah, public speaking. Totally. Wow. <laughs> Thank you so much. Like I don't even know what to say. Like that's such a high compliment. I like don't even know how to respond. Take it as encouragement to hone it. Uh, to, to hone make it even it. better yeah. because. Yeah, if you're starting out at the level you are, yeah, you're there. Well, hey, shout out to my mom because my mom's yes. basically Mrs. the reason. Dumont. Yeah, Mrs. Dumont. Thanks, thanks, mom, for uh, for teaching me all you know. So, do you think you would uh, tell family members about this podcast? I think I probably would. Yeah, I okay. mean, these are conversations that we have, you know, pretty regularly anyway. So I think that they okay. would appreciate it a lot. Yeah, yeah, I'm not at that place yet. <laughs> Well, also consider that like, it's by the grace of God and the grace of my parents that I actually ended up moving away from those fundamentalist churches way back in the day. So yeah. thank my parents. I, it was of no power of my own. It was all my parents. So, Well, they, they have a lot to be proud of. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so yeah. much. So uh, this is the Changing Faith Changing Podcast. Faith podcast yeah. And I think this is our fourth one. And we would like to be able to have people share in this conversation. So they can, uh, well, I'm not quite sure how, I guess they can comment on the actual webpage, changingfaith.com. Mm-hmm. They can comment there. Uh, but if they could give us a five-star review on iTunes or Google Play or wherever they get us, that would be really cool. Yeah. And if somebody's thinking about doing a review, but they don't think that this is a five-star podcast, hmm. maybe in the words of Pete Enns, maybe we, we sh- you should reevaluate yeah. your life choices. Well, I would also say that if you don't like it, I think the best thing to do would be to copy the link, go to Facebook, post on Facebook with the following comment. This is so bad. All of you guys should listen to this immediately because I just didn't like it. And I think that that would probably, that would really serve us right, man. Um, And then just like ironically, give it a five-star review, just ironically, just like as a joke. Give it a five-star review. I like that. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic... I mean, that's what I would do if I hated yeah. something. So, I mean... That... Okay. <laughs> I would say do it. And if they want to give it a five-star review and they like it, do that. Do that as well. So, basically what I'm yeah. saying is if you do like it or you don't like it, do the same thing. Just it, do it the just same thing. It just makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just totally makes sense. If you think about it, it's the logical thing to do. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, thanks for that help. <laughs> You're welcome. That. You're welcome. Yeah. And and, and that's who's, who's giving us uh, insight on how to read scripture. Okay. <laughs> All right. Inerrancy. Exactly. Inerrancy. Let's go. A five-star rating would be inerrancy. Inerrancy. Indeed. Amen. Amen, brother. Either either way, it's (laughs) five-star. Either way. 100%. Either way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's also, you know, that's, well, that's an entirely new conversation about unity. But anyway, we don't, we don't have time for that. So. Uh, Charity and the things we... Was it unity in the things we agree about and charity in the things we disagree about but, yeah. but, but five stars but five line. stars Bottom 100% line. that's actually in the bible I'm pretty sure I haven't I, read it ever yeah. but I could back it up sure. with a lot of verses but there's just no time there's just you know what we could we could pause everything but you know what? we're just running out of time our producer is like waving again, at us from the booth again, so <laughs> <laughs> again I have to give Pete Enns credit for all those lines all oh, right Pete Enns is great yes, man. Uh, he's great he, he does all of those on yeah. his uh, the bible for normal people podcast oh man I have not checked that podcast yeah. but I should yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Absolutely. And and thank you for listening. uh, And we're out of here. We're out.